Five or so years ago, when my family moved from the U.S. to Taiwan to begin our wonderful time of missionary adventure, when we landed in Taiwan, there were a lot of things that I saw where I said, I can't believe that. I'm amazed that people did that. Uh, the first week we were we were there, we saw a 50cc scooter and on it were five people, a man, his wife and um, three kids. And I didn't even see how they could do that um, and not kill themselves. And then a few years later, I like to ride my bicycle around National Taiwan University Park. And I saw something very interesting one day when I was crossing the street to get over to National Taiwan uh, University Park. I saw that a woman had her infant who was like maybe a month old, maybe six weeks old, stuck in the basket of her bicycle. And then the light changed so she could cross over, so she could ride her bike over to ride the same place where we were going. And the road was a little bit bumpy because they were doing construction and the little baby's bouncing up in, in the basket. And I said to myself, that is amazing. Um, very amazing. Then I had an opportunity to start a language center in China to be an opportunity for me to have a legal presence, real reason for being in China in 2004 and in 2005. And I appointed a man to run the center when I wasn't there. He was a very capable man, but I found that as time went on, he seemed to not be paying very much attention to the job. So I knew that I was uh, I was going back and forth between Taiwan and China uh, during that time. And I knew that I was going to be away from the language center for six weeks. And this man had been staying with me in, in my apartment there. We had a nice little apartment in Shenzhen. But I was beginning to wonder, can he do what I've been asking him to do? And is he the right person to have running our business? So I gave him one single responsibility to do while I was away for six weeks. And what it was is, is our landlord had a plant that he absolutely loved out on the porch. And he had charged me with watering the plant. So when I was in China and coming to China every week, I watered the plant, but I was going to be away for six weeks. So I said to my friend, I said, Frank, you've got one responsibility for six weeks. One time a week, I want you to water the landlord's plant. It's like, no problem, I can do this. I came back six weeks later, and guess what? It was dead. It, was, it wasn't just dead. It looked like it had like withered in, in the desert or something. And I looked at him and I said, I can't believe it, Frank. I gave you one thing to do. I'm paying you full salary. I'm paying you 8,000 renminbi per month to help run my language center. And I give you one responsibility to do. And that one thing you don't do. I was amazed. I was astonished. I couldn't believe it. Well, brothers and sisters, that's what Paul had in his mind when he wrote Galatians chapter one and the verses you just heard read. And we can see what it was that he was amazed about. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Paul was amazed. He was amazed that the Galatian Christians who had heard the gospel, who had received the gospel, who had received him when he was sick. In Galatians chapter 4, he says, It was because of a bodily illness I preached the gospel to you for the first time. Paul had established this church. And even though through sickness, God gave an opportunity for him to preach the gospel to them, they heard the grace of God from a sick man and they responded and they believed. And then something happened in the church there that caused Paul to say, I am amazed. And what it was, was that they were deserting. They were leaving. They were departing 
quite quickly from him who called them by the grace of Christ. I don't know if you remember last week we were going over the manifold grace of Christ, the many ways in which we see the grace of Christ in the scriptures at work in our life. And one of the ways that we saw it was from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that faith not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works that no one should boast. So we saw that God's grace means his salvation that you receive by believing. But we also saw that it was much more than that. We saw from uh, from Romans six, and I won't read the whole passage, but from Romans six, we saw that because we are in the realm of grace, we're no longer under law, we're under grace. We no longer live to sin as a master over our lives. And so that's an aspect of the grace of God. We also saw from Paul's life, that the grace of God was what gave him strength to do ministry. So he says to the Corinthians in first Corinthians 15, that because of the grace of God, he labored harder than all the rest of the apostles because God's grace was mightily working in his life. But then we saw something that seems a little bit shocking from second Corinthians 12. We saw that the grace of God is actually the strength of weakness. And Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In other words, when things happen that I can't do in my own strength, I cry out to God and I find out that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in my weakness as God gives me strength, a strength that doesn't come from me, but comes from the risen Christ. So we saw how amazing the grace of God is and was and should be. And Paul says, you left that. All those things that the grace of God does in your life gives you forgiveness. The grace of God gives you strength not to live to sin as your master. And yet you left that. The grace of God is your power to do your ministry. And yet you left that. The grace of God comes to you at those times where you're weak and you're needy. And yet his strength is there. The strength of weakness. And yet you left that. And Paul scratches his head while he picks up his pen and he says, I can't believe that you did that because you were called by the grace of Christ. Now I have a question as I've thought about the grace of God all week. What a great passage to think about uh, that has the word, the term, the concept, the grace of Christ. And as I meditated on these words, I thought about this question. I thought, number one, am I standing in it? Am I standing in the grace of God? We we heard that earlier in the text that was read by Pastor Stan from Romans chapter five, verses one through three. Are you standing in the grace of God and what kind of a difference would that make in your life? And then the second question I thought of, which is related to that, is I thought, who gives me the grace of God? Are there people in my life who come alongside of me and remind me, hey, it's okay. there's forgiveness. But not only that, when you're weak, there's power. And who are the people in my life who Um, who give me the grace of God. But then the other thing I thought of is, is do I show it to other people? I've had an opportunity as pastor uh, for many years to train many interns, many pastoral interns who want to become pastors. And the most important thing that I can train them in is not all the theology. And I'm not saying theology isn't important. But what I'm saying is the most important thing is, is is that they grasp this aspect of theology and practical Christian living, that they understand what the grace of God is and they know how to give it to other people. So I found when I was training um, pastoral interns that I looked for opportunities for my interns to mess up. 
Now, most of my interns were quite competent, very smart. I mean, like super smart. One of my interns, Joel Linton, when he took his ordination exams, made a perfect score on all of his written exams, and that had never been done in our Presbyterian. He never went to seminary. He, he did seminary one-on-one in a directed mentoring program with me for three years while we planted New, New Hope Church in Taipei. And Joel um, is, is a real, real brain. But Joel did a very, very good job. And the thing that we had to instill in Joel and in all the interns was how do you give people the grace of God? Now, in Joel's case, he didn't mess up too much. But in some of the other interns that both Joel and I trained, we found out that sometimes they would make some pretty key mistakes and they'd come to us looking forlorn. And that was the moment where I knew I could say to them, brother, you're forgiven. God loves you. He forgives you. So I ask you today, is there anyone in your life who stands alongside of you at that moment of your need where you've messed up, where you've sinned, where you've blown it? And they don't say, dude, get your act together. They don't say that. They say, you're forgiven. And take a second right now and thank God for those people in your life. Let's just do that. Just bow your heads and thank God for the people who remind you of the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. And now I want you to think about one other thing. I want you to think about, do you really give the grace of God to other people? I have a confession to make. Um, I love it when people are late. I know the biggest sin in America is being late, but I actually love it when people, when people are late and I'm the one who they've been late to because, you know, they come in and I can see they're all upset, you know, and, you know, they've got all the excuses like I give to of why I'm late. And, uh, and I just look at them and say, I'm so glad you're here. Don't worry about it. That's passing on the grace of God to to someone. And we can do it when people are late. We can do it when they've messed up. We come to them not with judgment, but with love and grace. And so Paul reminds us that this was the gospel of the grace of Christ, the free forgiveness that God gives us in Christ. And they ran away from it in Galatia to pursue what he calls a different gospel in verse 7, which is really not another gospel Wow, that's a very interesting statement. And he goes on to say that they not only departed from the gospel, that there were some that were causing them to depart from the gospel because they were disturbing them and they were distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you for a moment. Think about that word disturb. What disturbs you in your life? Anybody have anything you want to share? What disturbs you? Anything disturb you? Somebody raise your hand. What disturbs you? Okay, people who sin against each other. What else? What disturbs you personally that really gets under your skin? Okay, that was very insightful. Now, someone else. Um, What disturbs you? Because I'm going to show you what disturbs me. Final exams. Thank you. Yes. Final exams always disturb me. Um, well, there are two things that, that disturb me. And the first thing is, is when people are eating, when they smack their lips and they go. 
does that bug any of you? Raise your hand if that disturbs you. Okay, all right. Um, but some of you are trained in it and you're really good at it. So when, when you eat rice or soup, you're like, you know, you got it down to an art. So that doesn't disturb you. You love it. Okay, well, you're good at it. I'm not. And unfortunately, that for some reason disturbs me because I have this, this issue with my ears where I don't like noises. And even slurping sounds drive me crazy. So I'm at the University of Hawaii. I'm sitting in Chinese class, and there's a man there who's been uh, appointed to, in the future, be the ambassador to the, to the U.S. from Japan, and he's in my Chinese class. His name is Yoshi. And here's what Yoshi did in class, every single day in Chinese class. Now, this really disturbs me. If you really want to get under my skin, bring a pen next week and just do this while I'm preaching, because... After about the tenth time that you've done it, I'm ready to shoot you or, or to kill myself or one, one of those two things. But I just absolutely can't stand it. And Yoshi would, would do it. Click, click, click. Click goes the bick. You know, and I must confess, I was ready to kill him because he was disturbing me. There was, and we ended up with a, in a terrible argument one day uh, in class over him, him doing that. I didn't like Yoshi. And you know what happened? A few years later... Yoshi was a hardened man. A few years later, one of my friends, whose name is Chris, um, Chris Barron, he asked Yoshi to go to church on a Sunday. I would never ask Yoshi to, to go to church. I, I didn't like him. He disturbed me. I stayed away from him. But Chris Barron asked Yoshi, uh, do you, do you want to go to church? And he's like, oh, no, I'm busy this Sunday. And then Chris said, well, what about next Sunday? And he said, no, I'm meeting this person next Sunday. So then he said, what about the next Sunday? And Yoshi had something else, three Sundays in a row. And then Chris kept on until finally Yoshi had nothing in his schedule. And he said, great, four weeks from now, um, come to church with me. And Yoshi came to church and he got saved. And then I was back at University of Hawaii one time working on my Ph.D. I would come back once a semester from Taiwan and meet with my professors and the phone rang in my, um, in my graduate advisor's office, and she's like, pick up the phone for me, I'm busy. So I picked up the phone, and I hear a voice that I've heard before, a voice from my past, a voice that I wasn't really happy that I heard. And then I said, is, is this Yoshi? And he said, yes. Is this Tim? And I said, yes. And, and he says, praise the Lord, brother, I've become a Christian. And I just about had a heart attack right, um, right there. Um, and that man went off to do so many things for the Lord. And right now he's teaching at a Christian university in Tainan, in Taiwan, and has given his life to teaching the gospel in an academic setting. But these false teachers, they came in and they didn't disturb the Galatian church with click, 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 click goes the bit. Um, instead, they disturbed them by distorting the message of the grace of Christ. And brothers and sisters, there are two ways that the scripture says the gospel of Christ can be distorted. Let's look at the first way. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul's writing to the church elders from the city of uh, Ephesus who have come to meet him on the beach at Miletus. And he's giving them his final blessing. He's giving them um, his foretaste of what he thinks is going to happen after he leaves them. And then Paul, who had preached amongst them for several years, then says this in verse 29 of Acts chapter 20. He tells the elders, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. They perverted the gospel and they spoke perverse things and they turned the grace of God into a license to sin. They misunderstood the grace of God and that's the way they perverted it. Listen to how Jude says it in Jude chapter one. Look at Jude chapter one, verses three and four. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now look at verse four. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our Lord of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? They take the grace of God. They turn it into licentiousness, immoral living, a free pass to do whatever you want. And it's OK. And in so doing, Jude says you then deny our God and our master and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people today who want to separate Jesus from being Christ. And Jesus being your Lord, there's no way he is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you receive him as Savior, his power comes into your life so that you follow him as the Lord. And so some people today, they turn the grace of God into this license to sin. And you see that time and time and time again. The church as a whole in the U.S. has lowered and dumbed down the the standard of holiness and Christian morality. And we cannot do that or we're just distorting the gospel of Christ. But there's another way, and this is the way that Paul dealt with in Galatians. There's one other way that you can distort the gospel of Christ in the New Testament. And that way is by turning the grace of Christ into legalism. And this is the whole reason, in a sense, why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. So we're going to look quickly at a few verses out of Galatians 3, verses 1 and 2. So grab your Bibles and look at Galatians 3, verses 1. And two, similar to what he said in the passage we're looking at today, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So his point is, is that. They received the gospel. They responded in faith. The Holy Spirit opened up their hearts to believe and to trust in Christ. And now they were going back to the law and saying, you have to be circumcised if you want to be saved. You've got to keep the Jewish law in all of its ceremonial aspects if you want to be saved. And Paul's like, I don't get it, people. How did you do that? Look at another passage. Galatians 4, 9 through 11. Just flip flip one more chapter down. Galatians 4, 9 through 11. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So what happened is they were now paying attention to every special day and say, you got to keep that special day if you want to be a Christian. And Paul's like, no, that's legalism. 
Look in Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4, another passage where he speaks of this legalism. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So he's basically saying, okay, you troubling teachers who've come into the church in Galatia, if you're telling them and you're telling these Christians they have to be circumcised, then you're telling them they have to keep the entire law, which is something that the Gentile Christians in Galatia were not prepared to do and they weren't going to do it. And then he says, if you do that, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. So this departure from the gospel is extremely serious. So what we're seeing is, is <clears throat> there's two problems. On the one hand, there's what the theologians call antinomianism, where uh, there's, there's no more law. People who are against the law of God, people who are against the standards of holiness that the Bible talks about, people who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And then on the other side, we have the legalists who say there's all these other things you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do to make you right and righteous before God. And both ways are equally, equally wrong. And we can get why it is that licentiousness and unholy living is wrong, but sometimes we forget to see how serious a thing it is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn it into a law. And John Murray, in his book, Principles of Conduct, he was a systematic theologian at Westminster Seminary for many years. He said, if you take the law of Christ and the principles of the scripture and draw it more tightly than the Bible does, then you will become one and the same with the person who takes the principles of scripture and makes it more loose. In other words, legalism is as bad as antinomianism. Thinking that you can please God or you have to be saved by keeping the law or saying the law has nothing to do in your life. These are the errors that Paul was concerned about in the church in Galatia. And we need to make sure that they're not in our lives, in our church, in our ministries, and challenge it when it comes up. And notice what Paul says as he goes on in this passage. Now, this is not a passage that I would choose to preach on, I guarantee you, unless we were going verse by verse through a text. Listen to what he says. What's Paul's response to these people who are disturbing the Galatians and distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does he say, oh, it's okay. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. No, look at verse 8. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. The strongest word in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's anathema. That's how the Bible and the premier apostle Paul looks upon anyone who teaches salvation in any other way other than the grace of God and all of its manifold characteristics that we saw last week in the scriptures. Now, brothers and sisters, that is not politically correct at all to say it like that. That's just, you know, I shouldn't. There's going to be some of you who might think, Pastor Tim, you shouldn't say, say stuff like that. Because basically, what are we saying? We're saying that any other message that any church, any religious leader, any other religion is preaching other than the grace of God for salvation, that person should be accursed. They should go to hell, the lowest part of hell. 
even now, sooner rather than possible. James ch- chapter 3 says, oh, n- not that many of you would become teachers because knowing that we will incur a stricter judgment. There is a very severe and strict judgment on people who teach anything other than the grace of God. And that judgment is so severe that the person is seen from the standpoint of apostolic authority to be accursed from God. Brothers and sisters, this is so serious. And let me ask you a question. Why is it so serious? Some of you are looking at your cell phones and looking at your Facebook. You're not listening to me. Let me tell you why it's so serious. It's because... Your eternal destiny rests upon whether or not you have received the grace of God. And that's serious. That is amazingly serious. And so we pay attention to it. And we should stay away from teachers and teaching that's anything other than the grace of God. And Paul says that person should be accursed. But notice, he then now connects it back to his own life in his own preaching of the gospel, because we can see that Paul was speaking against what could be a problem for him if he let it, what could be a problem for anyone who's a preacher of the message of the scriptures in verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does this phrase mean? Striving to please men. Well, that word men, it's a general term in scripture. You could think of it, am I striving to please people? Not just men, um, the gender male, but people in general. Am I trying to please people or am I trying to please God? And what had happened was, is in Galatia, these pastors, these preachers had come in, they were trying to please people, they were telling them what they wanted to hear, and then they were personally benefiting from it. That same thing happened in other churches in the New Testament. And that same thing happens today. There are religious leaders out there who sell best-selling books like Your Best Life Now. And they don't preach the gospel of the grace of Christ because they don't talk about sin. And because they don't talk about sin, then their understanding of the grace of God is completely meaningless. Because what does grace mean? It means that we were sinners, guilty Accountable before God. And yet, in spite of our guilt, in spite of our shame, in spite of all that we've done wrong, Jesus Christ took our penalty on his own person when he died for us on the cross. This great exchange happened. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He gets my sin, I get his righteousness, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what happened when Jesus died for you. And there are people out there who dumb down the gospel so that it's all about, you know, positive thinking and your best life now and other things like that. And they don't see that the gospel is you are miserable. You're messed up. You screw up daily. You let down God. You let down your parents. You even let down yourself in your own conscience. And that makes you feel absolutely horrible. And yet God forgives you. And he says to you, like he said at the beginning of this letter, grace to you and peace from God, our father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to receive his grace today. And Paul was a person who preached the grace of God and wasn't trying to please other people in the church and to fall into uh, the sin of man pleasing, which can happen. There's a great danger for those of us who are paid to preach. And the great danger is, is, you know, what what happens if 
You're paid and people don't like what you're preaching when you're preaching the scripture and preaching the grace of Christ. And then they start putting pressure on you. I've had friends who that happened to them. It's never happened to me. I've always been able to preach clearly the gospel of the grace of Christ and all of its um, grandeur in every pulpit I've ever preached in. But I have friends who have lost their jobs because they had a message similar to the one that I brought to you today. Because they weren't pleasing the church leaders, and so they lost their jobs. Why? Because they told people that you have to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you can't just ditch the claims of Scripture. And so for that reason, they had to face, are you going to please men, or are you going to please the Lord Jesus Christ? There was a pastor named John Wesley. He wrote a lot of the common hymns that are sung in most of the traditional churches. We sing new songs and um, more contemporary songs, usually, but there are churches that sing old hymns, and a lot of the old hymns are written by uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, his, his brother, and they came from the 18th century and were used by God during the Great Awakening and the revival that was happening in Britain and in the American colonies back then. Well, John Wesley founded what is now known as the Methodist Church. And in Methodism, they had a principle, and the principle was that they moved their preachers every two years to a different city and to a different pulpit. And they did it for a different, for a very interesting reason. And the reason why they did it was, as John Wesley said, if the person hasn't preached in such a way as to offend a large number of people at the end of the two years so that they want him to leave, then he's probably not preaching the gospel. So if he is preaching the gospel, he will probably have offended enough people that at the end of two years we'll move him someplace else. A very interesting um, uh, thing. But what John Wesley was pointing at is, is in that time where there was such a, uh, an attack against the grace of God as there was, as the Methodist ministers tried to preach the, gr- the grace of God, there was a temptation to please people. And Wesley wanted to recruit people who were not afraid to give people the true gospel. There was a, uh, a missionary named Jim Elliott. Some of you have heard of him. Some of you have um, read some of his books. Amazing man whose life inspired many. And he gave his life trying to reach a remote tribe in Ecuador. And they killed him. And what was interesting, when I read his, some of his letters, he was writing to his wife, and he told his wife, um, and I don't think they were married yet, he told his fiancée, Elizabeth, that there's only one degree that I want. And it wasn't his MDiv degree, although I have one, and I love it, and I'm thankful for my MDiv degree. And all of you who are at Gordon-Conwell, you should be thankful for the opportunity to, to serve. But Jim Elliott said that the only letters he wants to have at the end of his name are A U. G, approved unto God. Because it doesn't matter what your secular, uh, what your secular resume is. It doesn't matter what training you've had. It doesn't matter how smart you are. What matters is, are you approved unto God? And through this passage, we see that those who preach the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation are those who are approved unto God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me close by just asking you a question. Do you feel the grace of God in your life today? Do you see how manifold it is, how it touches every aspect of your life? Do you see the wonder 
of not only receiving it yourself, but passing it on to others. And it's all because of what Christ did when he gave up his life for you. It's not cheap grace, brothers and sisters. It was costly grace. But it's real grace, and it's grace for all of you. It's grace for me, because I need it as much as anyone else does. It's grace for someone who's not even saved yet to be the good news of hope, to bring them into the kingdom. It's God's grace, and we celebrate that today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace, that it has come into our lives, it's changed us, it's made us more than we could ever be without you. And although we're not all that we should be, we're not what we once were. So we go to you with thanksgiving and praise and clinging to you as we cling to your grace for the power to continually be transformed in our lives, to move from glory to glory, even in this life, as we await our ultimate glorification. We come to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you and we pray for your grace to abound in our lives, that every one of us today who came would feel your forgiveness would sense your peace and would live out your presence in such a way that people would realize that the grace of God is the most powerful force in human history. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life, for your death, for your resurrection that made this all possible. And so we praise you in your holy name. Amen.